because of the pandemic, whether you have a mental health condition or not, whether you have a formal diagnosis or not, everybody's mental health was impacted. And it was the first time that I heard people like policymakers <laughs> talking about these issues that I've dealt with, my family had dealt with. It was the first time I had seen everybody talking about mental health and how it had impacted them in a certain way. And I felt like the time was now to join this fight. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. The COVID-19 pandemic not only impacted our physical well-being, but also our mental well-being. Throughout the pandemic, conversations about mental health have come to the forefront, and these conversations are a shining light on the lack of accessible mental health care for many of our neighbors. While individuals and organizations alike fight for legislative action, many have taken things into their own hands. NAMI NYC, the National Alliance on Mental Health, New York City Metro, is no exception. Outside of pushing lawmakers to do more for New Yorkers living with a mental health condition, they have free counseling and an extensive library of resources. Today, Epicenter's Sam Sacker talks to NAMI NYC's Kimberly Blair. Kimberly builds relationships that help NAMI NYC gain support for policies that lift people who have been impacted by mental illness. She's also built a network of ambassadors, neighbors who have faced their own challenges related to mental health and want to take that perspective to help those in our community who need it most. Before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. People who are rich will take care of themselves. They're fine. But people who are regular, you know, I, I want to see what opportunities can we afford them. That's Jeffrey Seller, producer of Hamilton, talking about how he created a lottery to provide $10 premium tickets to give more equitable access to orchestra seats. And by the way, I've never said that out loud before. He's featured in a recent edition of Intersection, McKinsey's weekly newsletter that shares stories about diversity, gender equality, and inclusion. Check out McKinsey's Intersection newsletter at mckinsey.com forward slash intersection. And thanks. Now, back to the show. Here's Sam and Kimberly. Well, thanks, Sam, first for having me on the show. So my name is Kimberly Blair, but you can call me Kim. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the manager of public policy and advocacy here at NAMI NYC, which just means that I lead our policy priority areas. I interact a lot with city council members, as well as the Committee on Mental Health, uh, Disabilities and Addiction. So far, we, we have been doing a lot of advocacy around increasing access to mental health care across New York City. That's great. And so how and why did you get involved in mental health advocacy? So my background is in public health and in health policy. I, I consider myself a peer. So a peer is a person who has lived experience with one or multiple mental health conditions. So I consider myself both a peer and uh, a family member. So I support a loved one and she has a mental health condition as well. And what happened for me personally, you know, this has always been something that I've had to navigate through and a lot of self-advocacy. 
trying to navigate our systems and care and insurance and out of network, all these things. And so when the pandemic hit, I saw a lot of things change in my neighborhood. I was living in the Bronx and uh, I just saw people in my community overnight. The community center was no longer safe. It wasn't open at the beginning of the pandemic. People weren't getting access to the health care, the mental health care they needed, or even physical health care. And that was that was honestly taking a toll on people's mental health. And everybody around me had lost their jobs. And I feel like during the pandemic, this became timely because it seemed that the pan- because of the pandemic, whether you have a mental health condition or not, whether you have a formal diagnosis or not, everybody's mental health was impacted. And it was the first time that I heard people like policymakers <laughs> talking about these issues that I've dealt with, my family had dealt with. It was the first time I had seen everybody talking about mental health and how it had impacted them in a certain way. And I felt like the time was now to join this fight and use my skill set to better my community. And then I'd love to hear about the ambassador program. Definitely. It's my favorite part of my job. So I lead a group of over 150 advocates. They are volunteers. It's really supposed to be about directly impacted people, you know, people who have a personal stake in trying to gain access to health care, mental health care across the city. And we get them trained up to how to best tell their story to legislators. And it's really a powerful program. And it's the first time some some folks are being heard and and being empowered to like stand in their truth. And uh, they're all coming from their stories. For sure. I'm honestly like, you're kind of selling me on this ambassador program because I've had experiences with like the mental health care system. And so I don't know, I might have to look into that. So this is something I'm very passionate about personally. And so um, I guess I'd love to hear, cause you've talked about like the silence and the stigma surrounding mental health and mental illness. I was wondering if you could speak to like your perspective on that. Yeah, definitely. I think that in general, in our American culture, and even across the world, across many different cultures, there's an overarching stigma. People feel like they can't talk about their mental health issues. I think that myself as I, I so I identify as Latina and Black, specifically, I, I'm Afro-Caribbean, and we already are dealing with the stigma. And then there's stigma within the BIPOC community and every culture has their own their own way that they perpetrate this stigma but in general I think in my two bicultural communities there's this play with religion there's this internalized like trope put on black women and women of color in general that we have to be strong we have to be this certain way and we can't show weakness Uh, so then all of a sudden to be open and vulnerable and tell someone, Hey, I'm going through this stuff. I need, I actually think I need to talk to a therapist. It's just unheard of. And for me personally, like I have a mental health condition or actually have multiple mental health diagnoses and I still consider myself strong. And I think that by me getting help, 
I am showing that strength. So that's what I try to promote um, within my community, at least. But like I said, every culture has their own specific stereotypes and stigma. Totally makes sense. Totally relate to that. And can you talk about mental health resources like reaching disadvantaged communities? Are they? Are they just like not? And you spoke about like the mental health resource desert. If you could speak to that a little bit more as well. In some ways, we're doing great and great and better than other places in America here in NYC. And in other places, we're really failing folks, especially traditionally marginalized communities, right? It's not It's not very common across the whole U.S. for all the therapists and all the psychiatrists to just band together and be like, you know what, we're not going to take insurance. That is that just shows the big inequality gap that we have here in New York City, where it's like the haves and have nots. Right. So when I talk about New York City, in some ways, is doing the greatest. I'm really talking about the community-based organizations that are really like stripping down to their last resource, their last penny to try to go into their community and, and help those around them. Specifically, I really love, I always love giving a shout out to my friends at Community Access. Uh, if you don't know it, they run a respite center that you can go to in the Lower East Side if you're ever experiencing a mental health crisis. And so I'm talking about people like that. I'm talking about community-based resources that are really doing their best, uh, Baltic Street, all these community-based uh, organizations that are trying to get people access to supportive housing, to providers, uh, even NAMI NYC. So in some ways, because of our unique position that all these NGOs are here, we have all these resources with foundations that pour into the nonprofit sector and into community-based resources. We're a little better off than some rural communities or other places that don't even have any crisis center, right? But there's still so much to be done, right? So have a problem here in New York City is that, yeah, the mayor's office passed, the mayor's office paired with the city council, they passed and approved for FY22, $112 million to go towards non-police response to mental health crisis calls. However, they're still operating that under 911. And you're calling for help and you need an actual ambulance or you need like a mental health clinician and now you're being met by the police and it's exacerbating your state. And as, you know, as a black and brown woman, like we have problems with the police. Like like we we have rendered so many racist policies that have, I mean, that put our lives in jeopardy that it's a further trauma. It's so like another trauma that you're now adding to a, a, a person in distress and then you expect them to be okay, you know? And we, since 2015, we've had 18 people murdered by the NYPD when they were responding to these, quote, EDP calls. And of those 18 people, 15 identified as people of color, so black or brown. And it's honestly atrocious and unacceptable. I don't want to, you know, talk the whole time 
about this, but I feel very passionately that we are not doing enough at the city level. We need to promote 988. So 988 is a number that is, it's a federal mandate. And by July 16, 2022, all 50 states have to have a mental health crisis number that is not 911, this 988, that will be now separated from the police so that they can stop having these increased interactions. So these are the things that keep me up at night and keep me going at my job because we can't be over here saying that we want to, you know, address this secondary pandemic, which is the mental health crisis. And then we don't support the infrastructure, the mental health infrastructure needed to address the systemic barriers for not just BIPOC community members, but undocumented and also low-income community members from accessing mental health care here in New York City. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And like your passion is just very inspiring and I appreciate you a lot. As Kimberly says, there's still so much to be done. We need to continue to push for legislative change that will support our neighbors in need of mental health services. Still, there are lots of great resources across New York City that are available now if you or someone you know needs help. We've linked to all of the organizations that Kimberly mentioned in our show notes. You can also always text NAMI's Crisis Text Line by texting NAMI to 741-741. You'll be connected with a trained crisis counselor for free. Next, Sam connects with Gina. After battling mental health challenges of her own, she decided to join NAMI NYC's ambassador program. Gina now lives with her husband in Flatbush and is a passionate advocate for mental health resources and so much more. So I guess just to start off, um, can you please introduce yourself? Just tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do. Uh, hi, I'm Gina. So I am a NAMI advocacy ambassador. And I've been in that role for several years. And I have a past, several past careers, but my current career is as an activist and advocate for mental health, equity, and racial justice in school in schools in New York City. And also I'm for the New York Health Act and medical aid and dying law in New York, which we don't yet have. So that's me. And can you describe your role as a NAMI NYC ambassador? Yes. Kim Blair has put together a large group of NAMI advocacy ambassadors, of which I'm one. And we advocate for lots of different laws and policies that provide additional resources in the mental health area, ranging from improvements in criminal justice, elimination of solitary confinement for people with mental illness who are incarcerated, to mental health resource access in communities. And my special field of interest is uh, with youth and school children in the convergence of uh, schools. Can you describe like a meeting, like one of those lobbying meetings that you've had with a politician? Like, you don't have to describe like a specific one, but the general flow of the conversation and what you talk about? Well, we talk about our lived experience. Like every 
body practically that I know, I have uh, more than one family member who's been deeply affected by mental illness. So we talked to the representative about our lived experience as people with mental illness or people who have family members with mental illness and make it human. Yeah. So if you could, um, you've spoken to this a little bit, but kind of like your journey to this place of being a mental health advocate, like how and why did you get involved in the ambassador program? Yes. I went through, I guess, in college, a period of of depression, as many college students do. So learned really about therapy. Previously in my family, therapy was considered something that you didn't talk about. So I was on my own mental health journey and was able to work and do all the things in my regular life. I was very functional, but I really needed to, I really needed talk therapy and ultimately some kind of medication to antidepressant medication to get me on the right track, particularly after I had a cancer diagnosis and said, look, do I want the rest of my life to be, have the glass half empty or half full? So that was the first time in my life that I went on an antidepressant and I found that it really made a difference. As a parent of a family member who has also been through perhaps a more debilitating depression, I really began to reach out beyond the resources I had for myself. And that's how I found NAMI. When I was talking with Kim earlier, uh, she was really selling me on the ambassador program. Um, I've had my own experiences with mental health issues and uh, something that I personally am concerned about is like, how do you take care of yourself mentally, like take care of your own mental health while advocating for mental health resources for others? Well, I think the part of the advocacy is mental health affirming because the conversation that you and I are having now is... I opened up a little bit about my life to you and you did to me. So one thing is just being straightforward and not feeling ashamed. Another thing is I don't believe self-care has to cost a lot of money. I know there are lots of products on the market that claim to be necessary to self-care, but going to a yoga class, um, doing your learning how to do it and then doing it yourself taking walks in the fresh air. So I think this is a lifelong project. Right. And then I kind of want to get into kind of transition from this conversation about NAMI and your position as an ambassador and just talk about you as like a New Yorker. We really like to highlight like our neighbors. Um, But yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So are you from New York City? And if you are, uh, where did you grow up? If you're not, why did you move? Uh, I am a New Yorker through and through. I was born in a hospital in New York City. My parents were living in Brooklyn and we lived in that apartment for many years. The family moved to the suburbs uh, when I was a teenager. And shortly after graduating college and traveling to India, in my case, I moved back to New York City and ultimately ended up in the same uh, neighborhood that I was born in when I met my husband on a blind date and he was living in this neighborhood. (laughs) So we're living in a like over hundred year old house in the Ditmas Park section of Brooklyn. There is every kind of food you would ever want to eat. We especially like the the, uh, 
Jamaican West Indian roti and Caribbean food on Flatbush Avenue, the Haitian food from the different part of Flat, Flatbush Avenue, the pupuserias and this. So, and more importantly, aside from food, I've gotten involved in local politics. And I've learned that if you really want change, you have to get a little bit into politics. You have to meet your representatives, let them know what your concerns are, and you have to be persistent. Like Gina and Kimberly have emphasized today, in many ways, people that have been closely affected by mental illness make the best advocates. If you are interested, check out the link to the NAMI NYC Ambassador Program in our show notes. But there are lots of other ways you can help make a difference. A text to a friend, a compliment to a stranger, a call to a relative. It's not always easy to tell who's struggling, but it is easy to let your loved ones and your neighbors know that you care. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description. 